Welcome to the Physician Grind Podcast. One of the absolutely most um, wild and difficult cases um, that I ever experienced was on a busy weekend night, um, early evening. Uh, a woman came in, she was dropped off, uh, brought in by her brother um, for evaluation, and the chief complaint was vaginal bleeding, um, comma, pregnancy. And so she had a confirming positive pregnancy test while she was being triaged and finally got back to the room. And as I entered the room, I was, you know, thinking algorithmically, well, she needs a CBC, she needs a beta HCG, a type in RH, and a pelvic examination, possibly an ultrasound. Um, so all that stuff was initiated and she was, I spoke with her and, and we started the examination. Um, and the nurse got her into her, the stirrups, and I went to do the speculum examination, and before I even inserted the speculum, I noticed that there was an umbilical cord uh, hanging out of her vagina, literally hanging out shredded, uh, and clearly something was, didn't make sense, uh, because there was nothing on the end, on the outer end of the umbilical cord, just a shredded umbilical cord. And so when you see something like that, uh, when you've seen certain presentations of chief complaints a million times and something clearly doesn't fit, something clearly doesn't make sense, I had to stop for a second and think to myself, how is this possible? How is there an umbilical cord in what I assumed uh, was a first trimester vaginal bleed case hanging out of this woman's vagina? And suddenly I realized there had to have been something on the other end of that umbilical cord um, at some point, and now it wasn't there. And so I bet, began to ask the woman, what happened? Did you deliver a baby? Were you full term? Did you, and asking her over and over, and she kept denying, denying. My translator was there helping me to make sure she understood my broken Spanish. Um, and she kept denying it until finally we explained to her, there is no way that that you could have an umbilical cord and be like this without having had a baby. And she finally admitted that she had had a baby and she cut the cord essentially herself with her own fingernails. So our next question, and now we're getting really worked up about it, like where is the baby? Who has the baby? And she again was reluctant to tell us and finally um, after we had security of our, our hospital security come over and I think she uh, felt the gravity of the situation said the the baby's in our van that's parked in front of the hospital and so we jumped up and ran most of us uh, security stayed with her and we ran out of the emergency department um, after we also had security grab her brother got the keys and opened up this dark van and wedged between the bench seat of the van and the wheel well was a living newborn infant that was cold and had all sorts of the, the usual um, secretions and materials um, all over him. And so we grabbed him, I actually grabbed him, and um, ran back across the street into the hospital. And now this vaginal bleeding, threatened AB, turned into a pediatric resuscitation case. And the the good part of the story, at the start, starting here, is that the, the newborn was breathing and actually had stable vital signs, and we um, 
clamped and, and cut the umbilical cord and called our NICU team to come down and assist us, uh, which they immediately did, put the um, newborn under the, the baby warmer, and LAPD by this time had arrived on scene and had um, manacled the woman's wrist to her ER gurney uh, and placed her under arrest, uh, although she still needed to be admitted to the uh, OB service to complete her, um, her placental delivery. Her brother was also arrested and the, um, the newborn was taken up uh, as a boa born out of uh, sepsis to the, uh, to the uh, NICU for evaluation and treatment. And the silver lining and happy end to the story is that that, um, that newborn got adopted by a wanting family who um, had been looking to adopt and there was no, as far as I know, a negative outcome from this horrible incident. I guess, you know, there's a couple of things. All of our staff who was there was just, a, were in a state of shock, an absolute and abject horror when we first found the infant in this dark environment, um, cold and alone, and basically like screaming and crying and running across the street, like just desperate to make sure that we were able to, um, to salvage and save him um, and just elated ultimately that it didn't turn into a tragedy. I mean, in those days in emergency medicine, there were, other than going to conferences and maybe a, a Cal ASAP thing or an ASAP type of meeting, there wasn't a lot of community. And what I mean by that is you'd get the the, the flyer is mailed to you and you read something on a monthly basis or you read some articles, but it wasn't like the, this era of podcasts and Twitter and um, people worried about physician well-being um, and burnout and all that. Like This stuff was just not... It's kind of like when I was originally a trainee. There were no restrictions on, on resident hours, right? So emergency medicine, I didn't know that other people had feelings or experienced... Um, the emotions of going through something like this case or uh, a failed pediatric drowning case um, where I would leave the resuscitation that would go on as long as we could possibly do it to try and have any positive outcome and go into a room by myself and break out, break down in tears um, and want to call people in my family to talk to because I was so crushed by what I had just seen and experienced, let alone, obviously, what the parents feel in most situations like this, not including the case we, did, we just discussed, but that there is this sort of PTSD that, that it, it, for lack of a better term, but it wasn't really until I um, started working in a more collegial environment with multiple other experienced and less experienced doctors who go through those feelings of what it's like to, to witness these type of clinical presentations or feel the feelings of a procedure that goes wrong and has a uh, morbidity associated with it, that these have potentially permanent impact on one's psyche and one's um, emotional state. And there have been times in my own career where I've had to fight through fear because of things I've seen and experienced clinically that I would sort of have to overcome in order to, to get back on the horse and, and ride it again and, and 
do the procedures again. But in that case, that um, incredibly insane case with that newborn, um, all everybody there, none of us had really been taught how to cope with and deal with these types of circumstances. But we had a universal, universally similar experience. We were overwhelmed. We were horrified, we were devastated, and then we experienced an elation as a result of the positive outcome. Had that outcome not been the way it turned out it was, I don't know that any of us would ever have completely gotten that out of our, our minds or our hearts. And this wraps up another episode of the Physician Grind podcast. If you like what you heard, please give us a rating and a review. The Physician Grind podcast is a forum where healthcare providers can share stories. If you have a story you'd like to share, email us. Our contact information is in the show notes. Thanks for listening.